Hi there, this is Austin Hetzler, the pastor of Christ the Rock Church of Elyria, Ohio. We at Christ the Rock are humbled and grateful to be a part of your sanctification today as you listen to this sermon. But at the same time, we want to encourage you to be a member of a good local church and not to allow online sermons to replace the local church and to benefit from the life of that church and to give your spiritual gifts back to that church. Having said that, our website is www.christrockchurch.com. If you go there, you can find sermons, blogs, and other resources as well as our location and service times. You can also listen to the sermons on Bible Thumping Wingnut, Podbean, iTunes, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher. I, along with the membership of Christ the Rock Church, pray that this sermon will be a blessing to you. pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for grace as we consider what your word teaches on a subject that uh, most of us, if not all of us, have never heard preached from a pulpit and probably have not considered deeply, and yet your word does speak to this. And so we will. We pray for a movement of the Holy Spirit We pray that your spirit would help us apply these things. We pray that this would produce real and lasting change where it needs to, Lord. And we praise you and we thank you for all of this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, Today's sermon is about gluttony, ergo the title in your bulletins of the proverbial glutton. And as we begin to consider these things, I'd like to ask a few simple questions of you, and I think that the answers to these questions are illuminating, and they will serve to give us some degree of foundational understanding as to where we as contemporary Christians, and as a part of contemporary Christianity, stand with respect to this. So the first question is, is gluttony a sin? Yes, it is. Okay, if you have even a, a passing familiarity with the Bible, you know that that is, in fact, the case. So then the second question that I have for you, based upon the answer to that is, and especially for those of you that have been a part of numerous churches down through the years, when is the last time that you heard a sermon addressing this particular sin? I'm going to guess that for most of you, if not all of you, it's sometime between never and never ever. In all my life, I cannot recall having heard this addressed specifically. I've been in churches my entire life. So these two questions then lead to a very important third question, and that is, why don't we talk about gluttony in our churches? Why is the silence deafening with respect to this? Well, there are multiple reasons, and I'm going to address these, but the first couple that I'm going to give you are truly benign, innocent explanations for why we don't speak about this as much. And the first is that we're preachers of the New Covenant. And therefore, we are primarily preachers of the New Testament. And so we minor in what the New Testament minors in, and we major in what it majors in. This is appropriate, and this is how you are to be faithful. And the New Testament just does not say much about this. And so on that basis, it would indeed be imbalanced if this became some preacher's special hobby horse. If this came up in the circuit maybe every six months or so, that would be inappropriate. 
Now, for reasons that I will yet make clear, that hardly acquits us for our total silence, but it does help explain why this is spoken of less. And for this reason and this reason only, this pulpit actually has never prior to this devoted an entire sermon to gluttony. I have certainly made mention of it in sermons as a point of application when speaking about idolatry more broadly, but I can't exegete what's not in the text, and this has not been in the text for me yet in my preaching tenure here in this church. And beyond this, I also suppose that a given church may not want to facilitate vanity, and this too is a more innocent explanation, just about every pastor In fact, I think probably every single pastor in America in the present age has dealt with some young lady or many who have eating disorders, so maybe they don't want to exacerbate that situation by talking about this subject. However, I will say that that's a reason for clarity with this. It's not a justification for avoidance. And if we are clear, I don't think we're going to facilitate that kind of vanity, because this is not about vanity at all. And indeed, we are to preach the whole counsel of God, and this is certainly a part of the whole counsel of God, so we must speak to this as well. So those are the innocent explanations, and I do believe that that is the end of the innocent explanations. I think that the bigger reason why we don't talk about this is obvious from a brief glance at the physical condition of many of the men in our pulpits, condition of their wives, their fellow elders and their wives, their deacons and their wives, many of their children, as well as a very large percentage of the people in the pews. I think if you take even a brief glance around, you'll understand why gluttony is seldom, if ever, addressed in our churches. As a nation, somewhere north of 40% of Americans are obese and really between 40 and 50%. That is not to say a little overweight that is clinically obese. Speaking anecdotally, though, I don't believe that the percentages decrease based upon church membership. I believe that for many reasons, it actually is probably the opposite of that. And so because church leadership sins in this way, and so do perhaps a majority of tithing members, it does not get addressed at all. Telling people that they're gluttons who need to repent is probably not a great way to increase the church's bottom line and what it brings in. And so this radio silence is very real, and it also extends beyond Christian churches and the pulpit ministries of those churches to Christian books as well. And this is somewhat strange to me because one of the uh, things you'll discover if you read a lot of Christian books is there's always this incentive toward novelty. This author wants to find a novel take on something as though that that were possible given the fact that we've had 2,000 years to flesh these things out. There just isn't going to be novelty unless it's heresy, and even at that point it's probably still going to be recycled. But even though this is not a novel take, it is a relatively unique subject, and they still don't go for it. Uh, There's a particular conference that I go to uh, which has, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating here, about a two-acre section where tents are set up, and it's a, a book tent, really a series of book tents, tens of thousands of titles. And I go through there. It's like the closest thing to heaven I've ever experienced here on earth. And I don't recall in all those 
thousands and thousands of titles saying anything on gluttony. It's not spoken of. It's not written of. You know, Romans 1.32 speaks about sinners giving hearty approval to other sinners so that they can justify their own sin. It's a you scratch my back, I scratch yours. I won't talk about this, and then when I do the other thing, you don't talk about what I do. That isn't supposed to be something that's true of Christians. And yet, in certain areas, it is, and this is perhaps chief among them. So those are the reasons this isn't commonly addressed. But what are the reasons that we, as a church, are addressing this at this time? Well, they are as follows. First of all, we are studying Solomon's wisdom in Proverbs, and he addresses these things repeatedly in this book. Here are a few examples which we're going to continue to return to. Proverbs 23, 20 through 21, Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat, for the heavy drinker and the glutton is going to come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe one with rags. Proverbs 23, 1 through 2, When you sit down to dine with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are a man of great appetite. Sounds a lot like cutting off your hand and gouging your eye out, doesn't it? Proverbs 28, 7, Also he who keeps the law is a discerning son, but he who is a companion of gluttons humiliates his father. That's the first reason. Second, we are also addressing these things because, of course, our overarching focus in this series is the nature and the expression of the distinct God-given sex roles. And as I will make clear before we're through, this greatly affects the expression of these. And thirdly, we are addressing gluttony because although the Gospels nor Epistles spend an incredible amount of time on this, they do establish a pattern of focusing on whatever golden calves are more common in a given cultural context. For example, you have proto-Gnosticism that's spoken against numerous times because it was happening in those communities that Paul was writing to. When he wrote to the Corinthians, he emphasized the love that they lacked. Well, we live in a day where men and women very commonly cannot honor God in basic ways because they are obese, and they are obese because they are gluttons. Because of modern wealth and food packaging and a modern lifestyle, this degree of gluttony across a population has actually never before been possible. To quote Philippians 3.19 and apply it collectively, our God as a nation is our stomach. My, what a tithe this God requires from us, indeed not a tithe, really everything. Men trade their strength for gluttony because obesity causes low testosterone and being obese prevents the physical exercise required to be strong. Men are less fertile because obesity lowers your sperm count. This is a major problem in the modern era. Our sperm counts have been reduced from the 70s, something like 60 plus percent on average. The way that we're eating is a large part of that. That affects fertility. Women too are less fertile. There are a number of reasons, not the least of which is that after a certain point, you become so obese as a woman that you become barren. You are no longer capable of bearing children. Furthermore, obese couples have less intercourse, which obviously hurts fertility. And the reason for this is in part because despite the overwhelming push in our society to make morbid obesity a beautiful thing, it still obviously is not. And so there is less attraction. They don't represent well the way that the Lord has created them and the form that he has given them, and they are less attracted to each other. 
And parents who already have children are robbing those kids of experiences that require some basic standard of physical fitness. You cannot run around after them, run around with them, take them outside of the home. Everything becomes centered upon activities that don't require uh, any degree of physicality, generally speaking, television. And ultimately, these parents will rob their children of their presence prematurely because obese people die sooner than those who are not. This problem is so common and severe that for the first time ever, the U.S. military cannot reach its recruitment numbers in part because there aren't enough men and women physically eligible because of gluttony and the resultant obesity. If I recall the statistic offhand, I think 18 to 25-year-olds are now something like 25% obese, 25% in the prime of their adult life are obese because they are gluttons. Gluttony is a sin, and it is a sin that causes many other sins and prevents much righteousness from ever happening in the first place. This idea that your sin will color in between the lines is a common one, but it's not ever true, and it's certainly not true of this. It bleeds out. It affects other things. And the final reason why we are addressing this is because it is rank idolatry. And this idol has reigned in far too many hearts for far too long. Aside from all the physical consequences and indirect spiritual implications of this, idolatry is the primary reason why this needs to be addressed. So these things said, where do we start? Well, I think we need to start with the definition of what gluttony is and glutton is. Because one of the consequences of this never being addressed is that we don't actually even know what we're really talking about. So we will define this, but we will start to define this by first removing the fog around it. So I'm going to end with a definitive statement amounting to gluttony is and glutton is. But first, I think it's beneficial to give you a series of statements along the lines of gluttony isn't or gluttons aren't. Okay, so number one, gluttons aren't people who don't fit this society or any society's or any ethnicity's ideal physical form. God clearly created a male and female ideal body type, and we will discuss this later, but clearly that ideal is broad enough to encompass the body types common to all ethnicities and therefore societies. And so this is an area where we need to not allow pagan notions of ideal to define for us what God has actually defined. Ethnic differences and distinct immutable characteristics are God-created expressions of the broad human composition. And you need to teach your daughters of this especially. And this goes to not cultivating the kind of vanity that facilitates eating disorders and things. She has a concept of what beauty is. She needs to understand that she is that, that the Lord has made her beautiful, Maybe it would help you to tell her that if Barbie were actually put into a real-life woman, she'd be like six, seven with a nine-inch waist. Okay? She'd be garish and hideous. But the society doesn't establish the ideal physical form God does. Okay? Next, but connected to the previous point, gluttons aren't people who don't fit the ideal human weight because there isn't an ideal human weight even for a certain height. One of the things that I enjoyed immensely about doctor visits when I was a teenager is being told that I was obese with like 6 to 8% body fat. It was because I was a weightlifter, so I threw the scale completely off. There are people with different frames that also will. 
So BMI and tools like that can be helpful guides, but they are not the be-all to end-all. Next, gluttons aren't people who gain weight through little or no fault of their own. This is a cause for pause when you're discipling somebody and you're seeking to address these issues, as this is a part of discipleship and you should address them, but this is not as, all, as apparent as it may seem. Okay, People can have medical issues that cause them to gain weight. Thyroid issues, they can have medication side effects. And for this reason, being overweight is not always a result of gluttony, so don't offend Christ by offending one of his sheep. Next, gluttony is not eating more than you normally would ever. You can see the patriarchs and matriarchs slaughtering the fattened calf and entering into these exceptional times of celebration and eating in an exceptional way. The wedding at Cana, I'm sure people ate more at. So there is a time for that. Can't be every day, but there is a time. Also, the threshold for consuming a gluttonous amount of food is different from person to person. And I think this should be obvious, but I'll mention it specifically. Age determines this, metabolism, physical activity. Um, I can speak to my own situation again. When I was a young teenager, I went through like a four-year period of time where I literally never experienced the sensation of being full. I recall eating an entire dinner ham by myself and still not getting full because my metabolism was that fast. Your metabolism changes, and then what was good for you becomes not good for you, so you need to change with those things. But there's, there's no amount of food... And I also thought of um, a woman that Lydia is related to as many children who never sits down. I, I can't consume the amount of food that she does. It's amazing. And she doesn't gain weight. Clearly, she actually needs that then, right? Because she's consuming it. It is a, a reflection of her activity. So with that fog cleared out of the way, gluttony is simply consuming more than what you need. And a glutton is somebody who consistently consumes more than what they need, which is often evidenced by obesity. Again, not always, but often. So all gluttons are obese, but not all who are obese are gluttons, if that makes sense. So this all leads us to why is gluttony a sin? There are many reasons, some of which I have alluded to briefly, but I'm going to give you a fuller list now and expand upon these and expound upon them as I go. And although this list is not going to be from least to greatest, I am going to save the greatest reason for last. So gluttony is a sin, first off, point number one, because it's a form of slow suicide. Gluttony is a form of slow suicide. And killing yourself with food is a problem for many reasons, but chief among them is that you are not the sole proprietor of your body, Christian. It does not actually belong to you. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price? And of course, that is the blood of Jesus. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, I have often heard Christian people point to this passage with respect to smoking or a lifestyle of drunkenness, but it applies just as well to eating yourself to death, which is what the glutton is doing, and there is no way to justify this. Our bodies are gifts from the Lord. They belong to the Lord. Ergo, again, you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And because our bodies belong first to the Lord, we may not defile them. 
Not by fornication, as in 1 Corinthians 6, nor by making ourselves obese through gluttony. And this is one of the reasons why I'm raising this now, and it's one of the reasons this needs to be reiterated in personal conversations in this church after this. Compassion compels people to not watch other people slowly kill themselves. And gluttony causing death, by the way, is one of the clearest manifestations of the satanic nature of this. Satan loves death. Everything that he does is designed with murder in mind. He was a murderer from the beginning who murdered the whole human race by enticing Eve, who then enticed Adam. And as a society becomes more satanic, it becomes more devoted to the pursuit of death. And you can see that in your own society, can't you? You can't abide abortion. You can't abide the murder of the unborn. It will spread like a fire, and it indeed has. Now we're sterilizing, which prevents life. Euthanasia is happening in Canada. It's happening in places here. This is an extension of that. It really is. Point number two, gluttony greatly diminishes your quality of life. And so with gluttony, what doesn't kill you does not make you stronger. It makes you dependent instead upon pharmaceuticals that will artificially prolong a life that if nature were permitted to take its course would have ended. But although modern medication may enable your life to be extended, it is not going to be a quality enterprise. It'll be a very limited life. You won't be able to play with your kids in the way that you ought or make love to your wife or your husband in the way that you ought or work for your family in the way that you ought or serve Christ in the way that you ought. None of these gifts of God present in the Christian life are able to be enjoyed in the proper way or to the proper extent if you are a glutton. And you know, when it comes to enjoying life, people, worldly people, will often say that Christians don't, or that we don't enjoy the things of this world. I think this is only because they probably haven't actually met any of us or taken the time to know us, because the reality is that that's in fact an exact inversion of the truth. Uh, temporal things are indeed vanity without God, as Solomon makes clear. But we have God, and so everything is imbued with additional meaning and levels of meaning far beyond the perceptions of the godless. It's something like, for example, the way that a music theory or art theory class might enrich one's appreciation of those mediums. If you understand the basis for a thing or the framework upon which that rests, it deepens your understanding of that thing. Likewise, knowing the God who created all things enriches our understanding of those things. As James says in chapter 1, verse 17 of his epistle, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Your life, Christian, is a very good thing. And unlike unbelievers, you are able to appreciate it to the fullest because you intimately and personally know the one who gave it to you. And he gave it to you to enjoy, to be strong and to be fruitful, and yes, to be happy. You are not here to bear much less fruit than you should and be isolated from others because you have physical limitations that directly result from gluttony. And by the way, before I move off of this point, there are a number of younger people in their late teens and early 20s who've not yet felt the full effects of what they're doing to their body and so they assume that it's not that bad. Give it a decade. You are causing damage that's going to catch up to you real quick and if you have any desire at all 
to know that this is in fact true, just talk to somebody who is where you're going. It's evident. Point number three, gluttony robs your family of the full enjoyment of you and you of them. So not only is your life a gift to you from God, brother or sister Christian, it's a gift of God to others. And if you are obese, you are robbing them of this good gift too. In the absolute sense, this is true in that you're going to die sooner than you would. But it's also true even while you are alive. Again, sex, uh, time with your children, relationships. These things require a degree of physicality that you will not be able to exercise. And so this effect of robbing relationships is true in the family, it's true in the church, it's true in society. Gluttony is then deeply selfish. Your empty life is coming from your empty calories and your life belongs to God and the service of people. All spiritual service requires you still being here because you didn't eat yourself to death. And most spiritual service requires some degree of physicality, even if it's something like making meals, visiting people. And this leads us into point number four, which is that gluttony prevents the practice of godliness. Gluttony prevents the practice of godliness. As we have been learning, men are to be strong so that they can build and protect. You cannot build and protect as a man in the way that you're supposed to if you are flabby and flaccid. If, God forbid, some violent man comes to hurt your children or your wife while you are present, that wouldn't be your fault that they came and attacked you and your family, but you do have a reasonable responsibility to them to be able to defend them, and you just can't if you're obese. You also can't defend or build your church or your community either. This is fundamental to your existence, a builder, a protector, and if you're a glutton, you can't do it. And ladies, as you well know, running around after little kids may not be an Olympic sport, but it is definitely an athletic enterprise and one that you cannot do well if you're 50 pounds overweight because you won't stop eating. Furthermore, let me read to you concerning the Proverbs 31 woman, and you tell me if this lady could do this if she was obese through gluttony. Proverbs 31, starting in verse 13, and we'll skim. She looks for wool and flax, and works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it from her earnings. She plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her distaff, her hands to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. I would say that just based upon the way that she lives, she's probably ready for a decathlon tomorrow. After reading that, the only question is when this woman ever eats. There is no question about whether or not she eats too much. And what would be too much? She could probably consume 20,000 calories a day with that degree of activity. You can't do what the Lord has designed you to do as men and women if you are gluttons.
Point number five, gluttony is a bad testimony because it demonstrates a clear lack of self-control and discipline. I'm going to take a step back here because we're talking about self-control. And in my experience, most Christians do not have a biblical definition of this. They rather gain their definition of it from unbelievers, and it's a very different thing when you're talking about unbeliever to believer and how we define this. One of the principal passages on self-control for the Christian in Scripture is Galatians 5:22 through 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So one thing to understand about the fruit of the Spirit is that it is indeed the fruit of the Spirit. So it is singular in nature. There are aspects or attitudes, plural, of this fruit, but there is only one fruit. So then everything on that list is given to every believer. All of those things you possess by virtue of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is not like spiritual gifts for service in the body. Okay, we've been given those disparately according to the will of God. But all of us have all of those things that I just read to you. We don't all excel at them and the practice of them in the same way. But if you're a Christian, you have all of those as gifts of the Holy Spirit to you, including self-control. So this said, is self-control being an aspect of the fruit of the Holy Spirit actually just self-control? No, it is not. More truly, it is spirit control. And we can and do submit to this control, more so or less so, but because this is encompassed in the fruit of the Spirit, it's first to be considered a ministry of the Holy Spirit and then as a responsibility of believers. And this is really important because when the world thinks of self-control, it's autonomous self-control. And autonomous self-control doesn't actually work so well because at best it just changes behavior. It doesn't change nature AA is a really good example of this. You could not have had a drink for 20 years and you're still defined as what? An alcoholic. Hi, my name is so-and-so. I'm an alcoholic. Another good example of this effect is the person who quits smoking, who's an unbeliever, and then gains 30 pounds because the underlying behavior did not change because the nature did not change, so they just traded one vice for another. That's not Christian self-control. We are comforted by the fact that progression in one area of our lives does not have to mean regression in another because we are not alone. The one who changed our natures remains and continues to help us as we seek to live lives honorable to God. However, this fact, though comforting, should also be sobering, shouldn't it? Christ died for us in order to enable this transfer of the spiritual fruit of self-control from the Holy Spirit to His people. That is a high price to pay for a gift that has been allowed to fall into such a state of disrepair as has this one. And more to the point, your physical state, if you are obese and your obesity is self-induced, demonstrates to those within and without the church that you hold this gift in very low esteem. And let's speak first to the situation inside the church. When you have a sin, whatever it is, that's broadly practiced, Case in point, gluttony. It encourages that sin in others. Every church has a culture, and every member of a church contributes to it by what they say and more so by how they live. This is something that has been a great frustration 
of mind as a pastor to try to communicate this to people, that you don't live in isolation, you don't have to teach a class on how to sin. The way that you live encourages sin in others because you're doing it in purview of those others. So if obesity is common, it's going to become more common. Gluttony, which is a sin, if it's treated lightly, is going to cause marriages and families and individuals to suffer greatly. This is why Solomon discourages even associating with gluttons. Proverbs 23, 20 through 21 again, Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat, for the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe one with rags. 28, 7, He who keeps the law is a discerning son, but he who is a companion of gluttons humiliates his father. You are not to be with these people. How much less to be one. And now then, let's speak to how this affects our testimony with those outside of the church. Now with this, we might actually be tempted to say that it won't negatively affect our testimony because our age celebrates obesity. Fat shaming is now a thing which we shouldn't be speaking in a derogatory way to people or insulting people, but when that's used, typically what's meant is encouraging people not to die because they're eating too much. So that's our zeitgeist. But if we accepted the notion that all that they celebrate, they being the world, should be accepted by us because they celebrate it, we would indeed be a synagogue of the devil. Furthermore, they may deny that this is wrong, but as image bearers of God, they still know that it is. For example, you may have a corporation, and there are many in our day that publicly promote obesity, but at the same time, they'll privately discourage the hiring of such people very often because it's well known that obese people are characteristically lazy. Not always, but more often than not, and you don't have to take my word for it, and please don't, Proverbs 23, 20 through 21, Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat, for the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe one with rags. Synonymous with gluttony is laziness and therefore poverty. And even in a world that denies truth as ours does, this is understood intuitively. The obese person has gotten that way largely through inactivity, through eating too much and not doing enough. And I, in a previous sermon, mentioned to you that there are concepts from Solomon in the book of Proverbs that have just bled into normal human experience and now occur commonly in books on business. This is another one of those. So we talked about the law of reaping and sowing and that they all have that common thread. This is there too. They all talk about the habits of highly effective people and that they're not gluttons that they tend to their bodies, that they care for their bodies as a way to calibrate the rest of their lives. And I also want to say that we should think about this issue of testimony from more than just a personal perspective. Churches should think about their testimony as a whole. I mean, if you had an unbeliever come into a church and everybody in that church were laid out on the pews because they're drunk, Obviously, that would be a bad testimony. And it may not be the same thing, but for similar reasons, isn't it a bad testimony if you come in and a majority of the people have eaten themselves into obesity? I think it is. 
Point number six, gluttony obscures the God-created forms unique to the two sexes. Gluttony obscures the God-created forms unique to the two sexes. Now, earlier we acknowledged that no singular society or ethnicity represents the ideal male or female form. But that doesn't mean that there isn't an ideal male and female form. Clearly, there are physical characteristics for both sexes that were created by God and are evident in all peoples. And one of the places in Scripture that makes this clear is Psalm 144, and we are familiar with this, so I'll raise it here now. Verse 12 of that chapter says, Of young men, let our sons in their youth be as grown-up plants. That is a reference to their physical form. They are strong. That's demonstrated in their bodies, and it's even more clear when he talks about young ladies in the same verse, and our daughters as corner pillars fashioned as for a palace. They are carved. They are hewn. By the Lord their God, their maker, the finger of God has shaped them to be what they are. Men as created by God have broader shoulders, tapered torsos, and frames that reflect strength. Women are shapely with more narrow shoulders but broader hips and smaller waists. And again, this design differs in exact expression from people to people and person to person, but the general design is present in all people. And because it is created by God, it is good. And because it is a God-created good, it is to be honored and conserved by God's people. And why? Chiefly. Because of vanity? No. No, not at all. Because God's good creation testifies to God's good nature as creator to His praise. And this is true of God's creation in general. Psalm 104, 24. O Lord, how many are your works in wisdom? You have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. Psalm 19 speaks of the heavens declaring His handiwork, but this is also true of God's image bearers specifically. Psalm 139, 14, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Our forms were designed by God to reflect His glory, and an obese body does not do that as it should. Obesity produced by gluttony, obscures the divinely designed human form. And we should understand that to be a bad thing for the same reason that smog in the sky is. Again, if the Lord reveals himself through his handiwork in the heavens and you veil that, well, then that prevents it from having the effect that it's supposed to have. Same thing is true with your physical body. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And of course it is true that care for your body and appearance can be vanity. It is, however, absolutely untrue to say that it must be. Not at all. You can and should do that to the glory of God in recognition of the fact that He created you intentionally with a design that honors Him. And we just looked at statements from David on this, but Solomon clearly has a lot to say too. For example, let me ask you, does Solomon appreciate God's good creation in the form of the Shulamite? Well, I don't think appreciation in Song of Solomon really cuts it. He really, 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 really likes the way she's put together because she has honored the Lord by preserving that design. And the Shulamite also really, really appreciates him. 
and his masculine form, there is a reason why she is waiting for him to appear over that hill. Consider also Proverbs 5, 18 and 19. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. Now why compare this woman of virtue, this woman of beauty to a doe? Well, have you ever seen a doe, a female deer, run across a field? They appear to not even touch the ground. There is a grace to them, unique. Horses, when they canter or they gallop, throw up chunks of earth behind them. There is power. Women, it is not that way. Women are art in motion, and they dance even as they move. They were created by God to do that. This is how their frames were designed to operate in God's creation. Young men are strong. This is how our frames were designed to operate in God's creation. We have all the grace of a rock being thrown down the side of a hill because we were designed that way. But they float. Obesity is the smog that we have thrown into the sky to obscure this design and its manifestation in creation. And this too is satanic. You can see the ultimate expression of it uh, with this transgender nonsense. We're told that this man really does have all the grace and beauty of a woman when he really clearly doesn't. Well, this veils that too. Point number seven. Finally, gluttony is idolatry. Gluttony is idolatry. As we know that the glutton eats too much, the question here is why? It's not to satisfy any physical need or they would have that need satisfied and then stop. They don't stop. They just keep eating. So then they are seeking to satisfy an emotional and ultimately spiritual need. Thus this aspect, at least of Philippians 3.19, rings true for every glutton. Starting back, though, in verse 17 of that chapter, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite rendered also stomach and whose glory is in their shame who set their minds on earthly things. Why does the glutton keep eating? To receive a sense of comfort? Yes. But from whom is comfort rightly derived? From God. To gain a sense of joy, however fleeting. Yes. But who is to satisfy our desire for joy? As we read in the Psalms prior to the, ser- prior to the sermon this morning. Do people eat in order to feel in control when other circumstances in their lives feel out of control? Yes. I can't control what's happening in my life, but I can control this plate. And the next one, and the next one, and the next one. It is a way to try to regain sovereignty over something, if only this one thing. But who actually is sovereign? And in whose sovereignty are we to rest in and submit to God's? Gluttony has a lot of consequences and is a consequence of many things. But at its deepest level, it is a violation of the first commandment. It's a false god, 
a golden calf, a Dagon, that desperately needs to be made to lie prostrate instead of remaining in its position as one of contemporary evangelicalism's favorite dinner guests. And understanding that this is a false god is key because it explains why the worship of it brings such horrible consequences. God, big G, is alone good, and he gives good things to his people. Every little g God is cruel and takes and takes and takes. And that's certainly true here. Now, there is repentance that needs to happen in this congregation with this. Assumptions should not be made, and correction should be gracious. And really, if if I could encourage you along a certain line, I would encourage you to encourage others. I would encourage you to take that as a primary tact. Include others. I've done that with young men. They can tell you about the positive effect that it's had on them. Included them in my uh, workouts and in that aspect of my life. Okay, ladies, you can do the same. Husbands and wives can debrief each other uh, as far as the events of the home and the life go while walking around the neighborhood. You can cut back on your consumption, make incremental changes, and start to reclaim this aspect of your life. We will be forever enfleshed, embodied. This isn't a feature just of this life. Okay, we're not Gnostics. Our Lord Jesus was incarnated into a body. You are to honor the Lord by caring for this. Christ is King, not our appetites. And if you do not know Christ, and gluttony is just one of many idols for you, then I'd encourage you to come to him today. And I understand what we're talking about when we talk about self-control as a matter of a new nature. Trust in the Lord Jesus today to save you from the sin of gluttony and ultimately the sin of unbelief. Trust in his perfect life, who though he was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton, he never was. It was a slander against him. Trust in his sufficient death and trust in the power of his resurrection to give you new life so that you may stop trying to find fulfillment in the things of this world that only actually exist in God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to study this, Lord. I pray that your people would take it to heart. I pray that you give us grace. This is a hard one. Lord, especially in the society where everything is fast, but fast is not often good, and certainly not good for you. Help us to honor you. Help this not to become something that is just vanity for us. Lord, help us instead to focus on you, and we praise you and we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi there, this is Austin Hetzler, the pastor of Christ the Rock Church of Elyria, Ohio. We at Christ the Rock are humbled and grateful to be a part of your sanctification today as you listen to this sermon. 
But at the same time, we want to encourage you to be a member of a good local church and not to allow online sermons to replace the local church and to benefit from the life of that church and to give your spiritual gifts back to that church. Having said that, our website is www.christrockchurch.com. If you go there, you can find sermons, blogs, and other resources as well as our location and service times. You can also listen to the sermons on Bible Thumping Wingnut, Podbean, iTunes, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher. I, along with the membership of Christ the Rock Church, pray that this sermon will be a blessing to you.